I actually got him to start negotiating. Okay, if I move this, will you do that over there? And this guy will and get the crafts together. And they had never done that before. Welcome to the Life in Paradise podcast, the show about creating a life you never need a vacation from. You'll gain inspiration from those who have done it before as we share experiences, strategies, and offer practical steps you can take to live your dream life in paradise. With your host, attorney turned alchemist, Dawn Fleming. Okay, welcome to the October episode of Taking Command with Captain Tom. Our topic this month is building a culture of cooperation. And this is sort of a springboard off of our topic last month, which was learning to lead. And Tom had talked about how he never really was taught any personal development or leadership skills as an engineer. You know, it was technical classes and all that. And and how on his own at age 50, he started studying personal development and the difference that it made. So if you didn't listen to last month, go back and have a listen. Uh, There'll be a link in the show notes to that. So this uh, story picks up when we moved from California. We jumped on our 50-foot sailboat, sailed 5,000 miles through the Panama Canal, ended up in Panama City, and then Tom landed a job at the local shipyard. What happened was is uh, uh, we just pulled into the dock and we had been at, at sea for six months, Don and I on the sailboat, her and I. And, and so I says, honey, I, I got to get a job or do something. I was almost 60 years old. And, and I says, maybe home, I go to Home Depot and get a job. I just <laughs> got to get some space. Not that it's a bad thing, but it just some space. And so uh, we just pulled into the marina on that, that night. The, the fella who lived in the houseboat next door and next slip came home and I introduced myself. And he says, uh, Donnie, what do you do? He says, well, I'm an electrician at the shipyard. And Tom, oh, there's a shipyard? Wow, cool. And he says, I, I just joined. He says, are they hiring? And he says, they're looking for electrical engineers. I says, well, I'm an electrical engineer. And he said, hey, great. Well, my brother-in-law is head as a superintendent of the electrical department. He came to the boat and over beers, he interviewed me for a job at the shipyard. And so what happened was uh, we went back to uh, California. Moved the rest of our stuff, closed down your yeah. shop. Your shop was still My, um, my shop was still, still I came back and then I got an appointment to go see the, the head of engineering at the shipyard. And so I went uh, and had an interview with them. So I, I got hired. But the one thing that helped me get hired was the fact that I had run my own company and had deal with employees and stuff like this. And, and I knew some personal development because I knew nothing about shipboard electrical systems because my I built design cameras and little small stuff and everything like that, circuit boards. But shipboard power systems is a whole whole different animal so uh, they hired me and they said, well, you got to learn shipboard systems. So we're going to make you a supervisor. So you're going to wear a red hat, which is a supervisor's hat, and you're going to have a crew of eight uh, electricians. And you're going to go over to this. Th- there's two yards there and you're the, the yard. And you're going to spearhead a building a 90-foot tugboat. So he says, here's your hard hat. Go get him, big guy. And so uh, I went over to the shipyard. I knew nothing about that. But uh, what I did as I knew to to ask the other red hats, the other supervisors, hey, I'm kind of new to this. Kind of give me a hand. Well, yeah, can you kind of guide me and mentor me? 
And, 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 you know, he asked nicely and they say, sure, I'll help you out with this. So I was. Well, your training consisted of there's the boat. Yeah. There's your crew. Yeah. Don't touch anything. Yeah. Just, just point. Just point. Yeah, just point. <laughs> so, so anyway, but um, I learned shipboard building systems. I started in April and by, I think yeah. it was by October, they, they took away my red hat. And they sent me over to corporate, which was in another shipyard. I was going to become an electrical engineer designer. And so I had my own office then. So I got started. But when you started there, I think, you know, it's important for people to know the culture was kind of interesting. Right. Yeah. So uh, the culture was all the supervisors and even the superintendents of the different crafts. I mean, this is a large shipyard. Um, they built. How many employees? I. I... 1,800 or, or three, more than that? Yeah, well, or more than 1,800, my 3,000. 3,000 employee yeah. companies. It's and a big, big And they built um, 300-foot platform service vessels for the Gulf. So that it, these are the vessels that take diesel and equipment and stuff out to these oil derricks out in the Gulf and offload all this stuff. In some cases, uh, I built a boat for Brazil where they had to go so far out to the oil derricks that they had cruise quarters and everything. They're, they're, well, and a helipad on helipad, a helicopter yeah, to, yeah. To, to fly out yeah, because it was so, so far offshore. Yeah, so what, what happened is when you design one of these ships, you design the maybe the first of an eight-ship build. So the very first ship you build is a lot of engineering, a lot of time on the ship dealing with situations, problems. You have all these different crafts. You have... I was electrical, uh, craft 18, and then there's pipe fitting, and then there's HVAC, uh, heating, ventilation, and air, con- air conditioning, and there's ship fitting. There's all these different, there's uh, welder, all this stuff. Painters. And painters, you know, all these different departments. There's furniture department and all these guys, all, and you can tell who is what by what color hard hat they wore. Electrical department was all yellow hard hats, except for me, because I was an engineering and corporate, I wore a white hat, and a white hat takes Trump over. Uh, <laughs> a color pecking order. So anyway, a lot, of the, a lot of the superintendents I ended up having to interface with they were superintendents because they punched a time clock on time longer than anybody else. They had never taken strictly any, seniority based. Seniority. Not, they had never taken. They had ne- they never sent any of them to any personal development, management training, management courses, training, nothing. nothing. And they were. When I looked at. They were pretty raw. You know that was a little rough, and so I didn't really get along with them too much because. They go, who is this white hat 60-year-old guy? Where did you come from? You didn't come up through the ranks. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're outsider. Outside, you're outsider. Wait, are you from California? Yeah, I bet <laughs> you're from California. Uh, yeah, I guess I am. So anyway, so what eventually happened is that I would when I was over there designing, I would design in the morning. I had to design all the, the cables. There was like five thousand cables on this ship, and some of them because these ships were diesel electric, so they had big generators up in the bow, and then they had all these lines to go back to the stern to these uh, electric motor Z drives. It was a lot of uh, figuring out voltage drop over 300 feet, and this and that, and on the den, and there's a lot, there's so much current through the boat that you had to, the spacing of the cables and everything for, for induction voltages. 
it was really involved. And you had a, th- a big, thick book. It was about three inches thick from uh, the U.S. Coast Guard on regulations. And then you had another book almost as thick on the American Bureau of Shipping. And then they had their regulations. And then if a boat was was insured by Lloyd's of London, you had to have another a, a thick book. So, you know, it was my superintendent that I had to respond to. He would always, I take in my design stuff to him and he says, now, did, uh, is, uh, is this Coast Guard? Is this a- a- ABS? Is this, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I've gone to the book and here's the sections. In. But anyway, I would, I'd had my own office and engineering department at, at the main plant. I would get there at eight o'clock in the morning, a salary. I'd get there eight o'clock in the morning and by about one o'clock, um, I'd take a lunch break. And then after lunch, sit in the office, looking at the computer screen, I just get start getting sleepy. So I would take and put on my hard hat, my safety glasses and my steel toed boots. And I go out on the ships with my clipboard and some drawings. I go out on the ships and I would go talk with the electrical supervisors on the ships and say, hey, how's it going? Do you have any challenges? What's going on? Is this working? Is that working? Is this wire tray going to work in this spot and that? Because they're all... All the different crafts are fighting for real estate on the, on the ship, okay? Because, you know, everybody needs as much real estate as they can get on the ship. And so the first ship, the first of the bills is, is the big one because that usually ends up to be uh, 20, maybe 20% over budget uh, because of changes and stuff. And then after that, uh, the second build should be almost uh, even. And then the third and fourth build should be 20% under budget. So you really had to get your P's and Q's correct on the first build. So there was a big effort on the first build to really do your job and, and make sure you get it right. So I had a little bit of, of credibility after being at the other yard building the tugboats. And they, I wasn't one of these engineers who just sat in his air-conditioned office the whole time and, and you know pushed papers out the door. I was on the boats because... I felt that that was where I was best best useful. And so what happened, how this all came together is I had a situation in the engine room of one of these first builds. I needed to put a wire tray to put, you know, these cables in between the engines. And there was a lot of of plumbing, uh, pipe fitting in, in the way. And so I ended up, I carried a radio on me. You know, all the, all the superintendents and supervisors carry a radio so I called uh, the superintendent of pipe fitting and also HVAC uh, uh, superintendent. And I said, I need a meeting in this in the engine room of this build 161. And so they showed up and uh, and I said, hey, I, uh, I need this area right here for the wire trays. And he says, well, I'm not going to move that. And I said, well, OK, well. What would you willing to trade for that? Is there something else out there that you need some room for that you're willing to trade for that? And he said, well, yeah, there is. I, I, I need some pipes to go through this one area, but but HVAC, they're in the way. And so I said to HVAC, well, what do you, what's your pain? What do you need? And he says, well, I, I need you to move these trays for these ducting over here in this place. And I actually got him to start negotiating Okay, if I move this, will you do that over there? And this guy will and get the crafts together. And they had never done that before. We'll be back in a moment. 
Isla Mujeres is a Caribbean jewel off the coast of Cancun. Castellito del Caribe warmly invites you to enjoy our spectacular oceanfront villa located in the heart of El Centro and a short walk to Playa Norte, which is ranked one of the top 10 beaches in the world. With an ocean view of crystal clear turquoise waters overlooking both the Caribbean and Cancun city skyline, we offer a fabulous location for you to enjoy all the peace and tranquility you're looking for on vacation, while also taking in all the excitement the island has to offer, with activities either in walking distance or a golf cart day excursion away. Please visit castellitocaribe.com www.castellitocaribe.com We look forward to seeing you soon. I'm so happy to have you with me for the Life in Paradise podcast. I love our listeners and fans and we'd love to show our appreciation for you supporting the show. So please head over to lifeinparadisepodcast.com where you can find free resources mentioned in the show and also register for our gifts, prizes, and swag. I'd also love to hear from you. So there's a place on that page to submit your questions, comments, and requests so I can serve you better. And if I answer your question on the show, we'll send you a free gift. And some of them, they go, who are you again? You know, they, who, where did you, who, who, what? You know, they just didn't understand that, that I would, I would negotiate with this guy for, to help him and help this one. And, and then like, it got, like negotiating a Middle East uh, peace plan. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they weren't used to that. They were used to, uh, you know, bowing their neck and said, I'm not moving that. And they said, well, in order to move that, uh, ventilation duct, I need six hours, man hours, because everything was negotiated in man hours. You had so many man hours to do this certain part of the boat, so many man hours to do this and everything. And you had to kind of account for it. And if you ran long on, on man hours, it was kind of like, ah, so the budget. yeah, it was, it was, it was messing with the budget. So I would get these guys and negotiate man hours. Hey, I need six man hours. Okay. Well, if I had to do this, this cable tray over and above, I would take me eight at man hour. So I'll give you six man hours uh, and I can do it in, you know, in two. And so it really worked out. And, but I went to these engineering meetings with this, and this guy and the guy says, well, Clifford said he's going to give me eight man hours to do this. And, and the counting people who dealt with hours and, and for the different jobs, he says, well, you can't do that. So the COO, Kenny says, well, why can't he? And then they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. and so I, I was just causing more trouble than you could shake a stick at, you know. But it worked out, and they started working together. And so they started. It was almost like a, a, a poker table where you, I'll give you eight man hours, and what do you got? Oh, I got six and stuff. And they started working with that, and and they got it all squared away in the first build, so that the ongoing builds. And so, like, in the two and a half years that's up in the main plant, I designed three vessels, the first of three vessels. And the Brazilian one had a, had a five-vessel uh, follow-on build. Uh, the one had an eight-vessel follow-on build. But once the uh, the design work was all done and the prints, oh, and then the other thing was, okay, then we, now we got to change the drawings. we got to rev the drawings. And so the uh, electrical engineering department was off to the side in this big building. 
and the other, some of the other designers were in these bullpens and stuff. They'd see me coming there. They'd go, oh, no, here he comes again. Well, I want to um, interject because um, people need to understand the way this process worked is you would have your initial drawings. And because of scheduling, you'd have to start building mm-hmm. before those drawings were actually through the approval process, yes. through the American yeah. Bureau of Shipbuilding. Right. So what would happen is they would be marching on their merry way building the ship, and then the drawings would come back with changes on them. Right. And so the construction was already done, so you'd be ripping out things, mm-hmm. bulkheads and moving things around right. because they that's how the drawing uh, yeah. drawings got approved. And people, the, the workers didn't understand really that process. Yes. Yeah. They'd get all ticked off because it's it like, some, oh, somebody screwed up. We got to make changes. No, nobody screwed up. It was just that, that you you did what made sense at the time. Yeah. You couldn't wait until those drawings came back completely no. approved because you didn't have, you had a schedule to be, yeah. you would have never finished your construction deadline right. had you not done that. And so when Tom started working there and, and first started encountering this culture that this very large company had, it was as if they didn't know that they were all on the same team. No, they Is didn't. that fair? Yeah, they weren't on the same team. They they all were kind of competing against each other. I don't know why. I I, I don't I I that's one one of the mysteries. It didn't make any sense no. to us. It was like no. when he would we would talk about this when he come home, and I go, well, don't they realize they're all working for the same company? Yeah, like yeah. the company has a goal, and yeah. we all need to work together to yeah. achieve that goal. Yeah. But no, it was very turf. Uh, yeah, oriented. very turf oriented. You, you tried to make the other craft look bad. I don't know why to this day. But uh, it was uh, it was a, a different situation. But oh, and then one other thing was when you wanted to revision, revise a drawing, and everything off to the side outside the the main building. There, there was a little single wide office with a representative from the customer. So there was, you know, you had to do to get these approvals, that approval. Then you had to go over and talk to the customer, you know. But uh, you got to know them pretty good if you're just. And that's the same thing I learned from before is how can we make this better, include them in the decision and stuff like that. And you wouldn't believe what a difference it made. So after a while, uh, I was in charge instead of my little group when I had my own company, I was in charge of 300 electricians and about almost a dozen supervisors in two yards. I was pretty busy. And see, what happened is that the boats would get originally built at this one yard, and then they get transferred for finishing to another yard that was close to where I lived. So what was kind of cool was that I'd work uh, until about 2.33, and then I'd jump in my car and drive from the one yard to the other yard, which is close to home, and I would work there till 6, dealing with problems and situations there. And then I could go home. I was only like five minutes to the house. And they didn't. Uh, you, what's Clifford doing? Is he? How? How is is? You know, is he driving between yards every day? Every day? And I, I, I guess I, I was a kind of a rabble rouser. I, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't going by the normal routine. It worked out, but uh, when I retired, they were upset because they they were kind of grooming me to be a ship's outfitter 
which was uh, I was going to be in charge of all the crafts of fifteen hundred workers. Remember that at mm-hmm. the at the one shipyard. He says, when Phyllis says, God, we're kind of wanted you to be a the outfitter, which takes it and keeps all the crafts working to finalize and finish the boat. So I got out of there just in time. <laughs> Well, yeah, we ended up moving south about eight hours away. And unfortunately, that company didn't, it was pre-COVID, way pre-COVID. So they didn't understand the possibilities of remote work, refused to allow him to continue working on a remote basis. So pretty much had no choice. Because I was, I offered him, I said, I could work uh, three weeks a month out of my house and and drive up there. It was eight-hour drive. I could drive up there and spend a week up there in meetings on, on the boats. and They, they wouldn't go for it. And and then, you know, it wasn't a particularly employee-friendly company to work for. They no. didn't have the greatest track record. And Some of the uh, leadership uh, above me, but um, were armed. Father-in-law got killed. We got shot. And got killed. shot by an employee. Yeah. So, it, and it was also dangerous, the welding and yeah. everything. The environment, work environment was rather dangerous as well. So, we just, we moved on. Made a lot of money. <laughs> but, 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 but the thing that, and then that group, we got into how many, 9,000 people? It was, a, it was a lot. But we would go, and, and there was people all over the country on our team. And so we would go to these um, these big conventions and stuff, and you had to be uh, and nice and, and get to know all these people and stuff. So the personal, and once again, yeah, inter- inter- interpersonal well. re- relationships, you it really was uh, really helpful in, in, in my life once I discovered that. I said, you know, I just was frustrated. I waited till I was 50 years old to, to read the right books and listen to the right tapes and everything. But uh, yeah, and part of what uh, prompted this discussion here to, for this month is we were talking about. Dale Carnegie's book for for some reason, and I think we're watching the news, all the the political acrimony and all yeah. of the vitriol that's going on culturally in the United States and globally at this point in time. And you know, we were saying, gosh, shouldn't wouldn't it be cool if Dale Carnegie's book was mandatory reading for everybody if they understood yeah. how you treat other people to to get what you want, right? I mean, it it would really make for a much better society. Yeah, I, I, you know, just instead of me, 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 it's we, we, we. The sum of the group can accomplish a lot more than the single people can. So, yeah, so it was pretty amazing. Even when I was doing construction in Mexico, just to get the guys together, buy them a chicken dinner on Friday for lunch and, you know, beer on Saturday after they quit and some camaraderie and everything. And and still, after, even after they're done, I'd be driving uh, down the street in my in my moto, and you'd see the guys in another building yell, "Hey, Thomas!" You know, because I built a relationship with all these guys. And some people, who's that guy? I'm a nobody, but I just built a relationship with people. Yeah, so well, that's fantastic. That is our our uh, topic for this month, and uh, we'll say bye for now. Okay, bye bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Life in Paradise podcast. Did you love this episode? If so, we'd love for you to follow, rate, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We invite you to tune in every week for more inspired insights and wisdom to create your somebody pinch me reality. And until next time, dream big and act on it daily.